Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to be reading verses 10 through 17. We're probably only going to cover four verses. <clears throat> There's just simply a lot of material here. But I'd like to read uh, a few more than what we will cover because it helps with context. <clears throat> I don't want to violate the context of the passage. Romans 8, say amen when you have it. I didn't hear you, Ron. I didn't hear you, Ron. Okay, amen, amen. Verses 10 through 17, read with me. It says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you so much for the life substance of your word. Father, we are children of God. We identify with Jesus Christ. We've given our lives over to you, Lord God. And so we understand that your word is our life substance. We depend upon you through your word. We need you to minister to us here this morning, Father. Please give us wisdom. Please give us knowledge. And please flood our hearts with understanding from this text. Give us the strength that we need to live it out. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. Amen. I've titled this this morning, if you are taking notes, just take a peek up at, at your screen. It's titled, Life in the spirit, life in the spirit. I don't know. If, I don't know if you have taken note, but thus far, as as we've been going through this book of Romans, um, Paul, for the first few chapters of this particular book, he emphasized a lot on objective truth. What I mean by that, he emphasized a lot on what Jesus Christ did for you and I, so that we may have life. Is the story of redemption. Amen. It's the fact that God himself descended from heaven, Christ, the God-man, descended from heaven, became flesh just like you and I for the purpose of dying on the cross, um, so that through that process, he can offer mankind salvation. It's objective truth. But in this one particular passage, he kind of switches gears a little bit, because what we hear about, at least the context of Romans chapter 8, and he goes into... The rest of the chapter emphasizing the very same context, just different content to the context. The context is life in the Holy Spirit. Everything that you and I enjoy today, 
as believers has been granted to us by way of the Holy Spirit. Amen, somebody. The salvation that you and I enjoy is because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Yes, there was a time we made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's the moment we experience that regeneration. But all of it is possible only because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And so the context of this passage continues. It's life in the Spirit. Uh, and these things, as I mentioned already, are reality because of the Holy Spirit, because of the life, rather, the life that the Holy Spirit has given to us. And when we think about this one particular passage, one of the things that we mentioned a couple weeks ago is the fact that unbelievers do not enjoy this reality in their lives. In fact, Paul the Apostle stresses over and over again that the state or the condition of the unbeliever is death. The unbeliever does not experience the life that you and I possess in the spirit, which is an unfortunate thing. But it actually gives us, those of us who are are Christians, it gives us the motivation to do something about it. Amen, somebody. Because you and I have what everybody needs. Yesterday, a few of us were over at Cold Stone uh, in Downey, and we were naturally buying some ice cream. And we were sitting down at the tables that sit right in front of the, right in front of that department store. And we were just simply enjoying our ice cream. And right before this group that was sitting next to us, right before they, in fact, they got up to leave. And you could see that there was sort of this apprehension about them. And finally, one of them turns around and the others follow and they make their way over to our table. And they had sort of some leaflets or pamphlets. They had some cards in their hands. And, and, and it just, it turns out that they wanted to invite us to a particular event in their church coming up very soon. But they were fumbling with their words. They were extremely nervous. They figured that we were unsaved and they wanted to evangelize. They wanted to share Jesus with us. And then I don't know, I don't remember who it was, but we kind of stopped them on their tracks. Kind of helped them out a little bit because they were nervous. Well, listen, we're, we're, we're Christians too. We're Christians too. We, we know the Lord. But they were doing a very good thing. And is they were offering, they were at least seeking to offer salvation to us. Offering Jesus Christ to us. And one of the things that I said, which is the point of why I bring this up. One of the things that I said to the, to the guy that easily, in my mind, emerged as the leader of the group. You know, there's always like a little leader in the group. One of the guys that the, the emerged as a leader, I don't remember his name. Remember his name? It's important to pray for them. But anyway, I said to him, when, when I go out to evangelize, when I go out to share Christ with anybody, it doesn't matter the size of the group. In my mind and in my heart, I'm always in the majority. And he kind of opened his eyes there for a few moments. And then I reiterated. I said, I'm always in the majority, never in the minority. I can go in a crowd to share Jesus, and there can be a thousand people in that particular area, and none saved. And I could be the only one who knows Jesus. I have what they need, not the other way around. Does that make sense? And it kind of encouraged them a little bit to do what is necessary as believers. And so it's an awful reality that still exists in the world. And I'm not going to go over it, but Paul the Apostle mentioned it in this one particular chapter. Where he made a distinction between believers and unbelievers. 
believers are in the spirit. Believers walk in the spirit, whereas the contrast is that unbelievers walk or live their lives in the flesh. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, anyone, I know we didn't read it. It says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Is the awful reality concerning the state of people in this world who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the truth is the presence of or the lack thereof of the Holy Spirit in a person's life determines our future destination. Our future eternal destination. Anybody know Jesus here this morning? Let me see your hand. Let me see. Anybody here with the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you? Note that I, I did not ask whether there are any perfect people in the church today. Whether there are saved people in the church today. Someone once told me long ago that, that Christianity is not determined by perfection, but by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that is absolutely so true. We are distinct from the world because we have the Holy Spirit. We have God himself residing on the inside of us. Look at verses 10 and 11. Let's consider these first two verses. It says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. As I stated already, the context is life in the spirit. But Paul the Apostle, he kind of switches up a little bit because he, he does so now. This context that he's presenting now also includes a subcontext, if you will, or an idea, which is the resurrection. Notice that these particular verses uh, highlight the fact that once upon a time Christ was dead and he was in the tomb. And that by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. And then Paul the Apostle goes on to encourage us to understand that in like manner, one day our mortal bodies will be quickened just the same. Is it possible that the Roman audience that had received this particular letter needed confirmation in that regard? Absolutely so. Absolutely. I think you and I need this encouragement as well. Because sometimes in our weakness, we, we kind of waver just a little bit, even if it's just a little bit. And just think about the state of unbelievers. Think about the condition of the Romans at that time and the things that they wrestled with. This faith thing, this message in Christ, it was new to them. And they needed an assurance, an all too important assurance. And Paul the Apostle was giving it to them. Why is it you came to Christ in the first place? Think about that. You don't have to answer. But why did you, in particular, come to Christ in the first place? Because you realize the need for a Savior in your life. And you realize the reality of sin in your life as well. Isn't that the case? And then we could take it a little step further. You also realize the need for forgiveness in your life. That's why I came to Christ. But it doesn't stop there. So salvation is not just simply about life this side of heaven. It's a wonderful thing that we enjoy, life this side of heaven. 
But redemption is not just limited to what you and I experience in Christ, this side of heaven. Redemption also includes life after death. And so they needed an assurance concerning life in Christ Jesus. And Paul the Apostle gave his audience that from verse 1 through to this verse. In verse 1, he says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I believe they needed to hear that. How many of us here in this place need to hear that from time to time as well? Especially when life becomes extremely difficult. Right? But that's not the only assurance that Paul gives because he highlights Christ and his resurrection. And then he kind of includes us in that. He says, and you look at the verses again. And Dave, I apologize if you can't follow along. I'm sort of preaching from my spirit, remembering what I wrote down. And I don't, just don't want to put my minds on that. On that PowerPoint, I apologize to you, congregation. I just have difficulty with that. It says, verse 10 and 11, it says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He's talking about resurrection now. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you. It's not a reference to perfection this side of heaven. As some people may think. Did did your physical body become perfect when you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? No, not at all. The fact is that there's still a sentence of death upon our mortal bodies. Upon our physical bodies. And that stems from the mistake that took place long ago in the beginning. You touch that one particular tree, you will surely die. There's a sentence of death. Although in Christ Jesus, in the inner man, where it matters the most, I have a freedom. I have a life, a fullness of life. In fact, an abundant life because of my position in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't mean that this body has somehow now taken on perfection. That's not the case. The grave is still demanding That we lay it down one day. And it's going to happen. Unless of course Christ returns for us. So that first point if you're taking notes. Is if Christ is in us. We have been given life by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have been given life by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look at the second half of. Verse 11, because I like to read that one again, the second half. It says, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Will also give life to your mortal bodies. Now look with me to the beginning of that verse. Where Paul acknowledges something very important to his readers. He says, although the body is dead... Because of sin. Although the body is dead. Because of sin. Now the reason why I'm reading that particular section of the verse. Is to kind of give substance to what I just finished saying to you. About this sentence of death upon the body. It says although the body is dead because of sin. Meaning that although the principle of death. Exists upon our bodies due to sin's existence. It's the sinful nature that still resides within you and I. 
we have this difficulty, and Paul the Apostle, to great length, described that in Romans chapter 7. There's a part of me that just does not want to honor God. There's a part of me that doesn't want to please God in no way, shape, or form. And in Romans chapter 8, look to one of the first verses here that we read. Let me see the mindset. Verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. And then he goes on to say that those who are in the flesh cannot please God or cannot submit to God's law because it's an impossibility. But I'm so thankful this morning for the life that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. But I'm also encouraged to know from this particular passage that one day this this mortality will in fact take on immortality. You see, how many of you remember in the Gospels when Jesus Christ had uh, dialogue, if you will, with the Pharisees and with the Sadducees? And you remember the distinction between Pharisees and Sadducees? One of them believed in the resurrection and the other group did not. Now just amplify that just a little bit. Consider the Roman, the, the Jews who lived in Rome and the many other people who wrestled with this new message that was being preached. In Christ Jesus. Salvation being offered to mankind by one man and by one man alone. And the many assurances that they needed to hear. Especially when their minds were so often conditioned to the reality of the religions that they observed at that time. Talking about lots of paganism. Lots of wild and crazy things that they believed in. Especially due to the influence by the Greeks at that time. I mean, it was all over. Or the Romans, did they worship Mars and Venus and, and all those things? It was a lot of craziness. And so Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, I need to give these people some assurances. They need to understand the life that we have in Christ and in the future glory that we will experience as believers. How many await that day? How many await that day? Look with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Say amen if you have it. Look with me to verses 13 through 18. This is, of course, concerning the resurrection, our future glory with Jesus Christ. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. It's talking about immortal bodies, talking about those who died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left unto the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What a message of hope concerning our future glory. And if you consider um, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus Christ talked about glory or abundant life this side of heaven. When he said the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. No, that's not a pr- prosperity message. It has nothing to do with finances. Some receive, some don't. It has everything to do with the spiritual life, the spiritual abundance offered to us in Christ Jesus. Justification, sanctification, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and all of those other wonderful things. That we enjoy today as believers. There's an assurance that we need to leave here today with. That oftentimes, and I'm belaboring this point intentionally. Because I, I need this a lot from time to time. I need it. And if you're wrestling in the body today, if you're wrestling in the flesh today with some carnal manifestation, some sinful struggle or dilemma in your life, and it exists, I know that it exists then you need to know that there's an assurance in Christ Jesus. Amen? The second point here, in this, from this particular point, I subtitled it, an exhortation. An exhortation. And he did this once before, in, I believe, in Romans chapter 6. After Paul the Apostle talked about with great length about justification. And all of these wonderful things that we have in Jesus... Then he moves and he gives an exhortation to the people. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 with me. Chapter 6, 1 and 2. Romans, yes. I'm sorry. He says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now remember, he gave them this after talking to them about justification. This declaration. Over our lives because we are in Christ. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. He says, by no means. So the, the, the point is that just because we have this wondrous, wondrous full life in Christ Jesus, spiritually speaking, it doesn't mean we've been given the license to live the way we want to live. We don't have a license to sin. And so Paul the Apostle kind of introduces that. That exhortation in this passage as well. From verse 1 through verse 11, he talks about this wonderful thing that exists in us as a result of our being in Christ Jesus. But then he moves on to an exhortation. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, so then brothers, we are... Come on, let me hear you. We are debtors. Not to the flesh... To live according to the flesh. Notice, he, notice he, he writes about a debt that we owe. How many of you have ever owed a large sum of money to somebody? Mm, just a few of you. The rest of you, I think, are in denial. Really. How many of you ever bought a brand new car? How many of you ever bought a home before? Mm, that's the greatest of all debts. Huh? Cheryl said, mm. she's kind of looking at me and saying, can you pay it off for me? I went into a Toyota dealer long ago. I think it was in 19, no, 
in 2002. And I, I, it was when the Toyota Sequoia first came out. And I fell in love with it. You talk about a jaw-dropping experience. I wanted a Toyota Sequoia. Just came out into the market. Actually, it was 2001 because I bought a 2002. So it was, I think it had eight miles from, you know, they transported here and there. Just had eight miles on it. And I, and I said, I'm, I don't care what it takes. I want a Toyota Sequoia. So I went over there and I bought the, the limited edition. And it cost me because I extended all this warranty and all these other packages, the color and this, that. It cost me $50,000. So I walked out of there with a $50,000 note. And I, I put some money down. I think I put down maybe close to $10,000 down on it. And I was making really good money at the time dry, driving tractor trailers, right? So, I mean, I said, I, I, I don't care. I want it. I want it. And I left there. But it wasn't, here's the point, it wasn't until three months later, because they give you some grace, right? It wasn't until three months later that I realized the full weight of my financial situation. I owed a large sum of money to the bank, or rather to the dealer, because it was contract directly with the dealer. I owed a debt to someone. And as Christians, we too are in debt in some sense. But it's not the type that we have to pay off. So don't misunderstand. It's not the type of debt we have to, um, debt that we have to pay off like a cardinal. It's the type that we have to live out. It's the type that we have to live out. It's called sanctification. It's called this, this, because we are in Christ Jesus, we, we have this debt that, in a sense, that we've incurred. It is my duty, it is your duty as a child of God to live a holy life. Now, granted, I'm thankful that because of in Christ Jesus, I'm going to keep um, uh, repeating this. Because in Christ Jesus, this, His righteousness has been imputed, right? So we can, in fact, live holy lives. That's why Paul the Apostle states in this chapter that the Christian is not in the flesh. That's the distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. No matter how difficult your life is today as a believer, you are not in the flesh. In the context that Paul uses that in, in this particular chapter. It is possible to be carnal, but as Christians, we're not in the flesh in that we know Jesus. There is salvation. The Holy Spirit does indeed dwell inside of us. But the responsibility is that because we know Jesus, we now have to live for Him. We have to surrender our lives over to Him. Thank you, Lord. In verse, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20, Paul makes this point. He's talking about immorality, sexual immorality. We're talking about how we conduct ourselves in this body now that we are believers. Is there a responsibility on our shoulders? Of course there is. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says... Or do you not know that the body, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Look at verse 13 of our text today, Romans 8. Because verse 13 
it gives us greater context regarding our choices and the result of our choices as believers. And of course, this speaks to the responsibility that we have as Christians, which brings us to our third point. I've subtitled this, Reaping What We Sow. Reaping What We Sow. Verse 13 reads, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see the consequence, his tone on the subject of consequence. If we live our lives to please or to gratify the passions of our sinful nature, he says we will die. But if you live by the Holy Spirit, and by the Holy Spirit you subject, or you put to death, or mortify, it's a King James word, you mortify the deeds of the flesh, you put them under, you snuff them out, you kill them, you shall live, he says. Paul is writing about our moral conduct. He's not implying that we are capable of somehow um, no longer living in our mortal bodies, in our physical bodies. That's not what he's saying here. He's writing about the choices we make and their impact upon our lives. Number one, our choices will either result in spiritual growth, or number two, our choices will result in spiritual compromise. How often have we not experienced these things in our own lives? When was the last time you've experienced this happening on the inside of you? I think it's probably safe to say that it's occurring in our lives even right now while we're sitting in here, right? Is there anybody here today who no longer wrestles with the voice of the flesh, the inclinations of the flesh, the passions of the flesh? Hmm? I think it's safe to say that this struggle exists. For many years I have preached this topic as Christianity's missing element. And it seems as if the prevailing gospel version on the world stage today is devoid, devoid of topics such as sin, repentance, spiritual warfare, sanctification, or finally intentional worship. There is a prevailing gospel version in the world today that does not include these particular topics. And I think it's a mistake. I think it's sad for the church today not to talk about sin. I think it's sad for the church today not to talk about repentance. Not to talk about spiritual warfare. How often have you found yourself in a conversation with somebody... And you begin to introduce the reality of the enemy's assault, perhaps, upon your life. And only to have that conversation kind of discouraged and dismissed. It happens a lot. Now, don't misunderstand me. We are not to exalt or glorify the enemy's activities in or around our lives. We are always, as Christians, supposed to exalt the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the life and the salvation that we enjoy in Jesus Christ today. But does that mean that the enemy somehow no longer exists? Of course the enemy exists. And in so many different ways, we are wrestling with an opposition, bondage, obstruction, hindrance, directly tied to activity from Satan himself or his demons. Right? Because the enemy can't be 
They, the devil himself can't be everywhere at the same time, right? But demons do, in fact, exist. Demons do, in fact, exist. Look at verse 13, verse 13 again. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. What's he saying? What's he revealing to us in that particular clause, if you will, from that verse? Number one, he's talking about the flesh. And the flesh is a reference to our sinful nature. And in this instance, the term flesh has an evil connotation to it. Because in other instances, in other passages where the, where the term flesh is used, it's not, it doesn't have an evil connotation to it. It's just simply talking about the physical body. And that's it. But not here. There's an evil connotation here. It's talking about our sinful nature. If you live... In the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. The idea here is about the fulfillment of our sinful passions. To do so will result in moral compromise. That's the point. When you and I live our lives as believers, as sanctified believers, as saved individuals, as justified believers, when we engage in carnal activities... Or when we seek to gratify the sinful passions of our flesh, it will always result in spiritual compromise. Always. Not sometimes, but all of the time. All of the time. And I think that's important to know. And that's why I mentioned a few moments back about spiritual warfare. It's a reality. Satan exists, and he's knocking on our doors. He's knocking on our doors all the time. That's the reason why Peter stated in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Because the adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may, seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. If he cannot take your salvation from you, he will seek to render you totally unstable and ineffective as a believer. That's no joke. That's no joke. Galatians 5.16, Paul says that in terms of this flesh, in the context of the flesh, it'll keep you from doing, it'll keep us from doing the things that we want to do. It'll keep us from doing the things that we want to do. And again, Paul the Apostle stressed that in Romans chapter 7. The things that I want to do, I'm having difficulty Fulfilling them or realizing them. The things that I don't want to do. Those are the things that I seem to be falling back on all too often. The flesh. The reality of the sinful nature. And Paul goes on to write. Look at um, your text. It says, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds, of, the deeds of the body, you will live. But if by the spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Which is the second point to this particular verse. Put to death. Put sin to death by the Spirit. It's a reference to eliminating sinful practices by the help of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to complicate that. The Holy Spirit exists within us to strengthen us, to lead us. Jesus, talking to his disciples once before, he says, one day, one day, I'm going to die. One day, very soon, I'm going to die. 
And his disciples kind of stirred a little bit. Peter drew up the nerve to kind of rebuke him. And, and Peter, I mean, Paul, uh, Jesus essentially says, no, it's necessary that I go away. It behooves you that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send you a comforter. And he's going to help you. He's going to remind you everything that I have spoken unto you. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing on the inside of me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's instructing me. He's giving me all the strength that I need to resist my sinful nature and the devil that exists in the world around me. That's a fact. The idea is that believers must yield completely to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in order to overcome sinful passions. When we do this, Paul says, you will live. What's he saying? If we yield to the Holy Spirit, he's saying that if you do so, you're going to experience this abundant life that Jesus Christ promised us. Fullness of life. Not just life, but a fullness of life. Can we say that an, under, that an unbeliever is living life? In, in one sense, we can. But only in one sense. The physical life that that person is living. But not in the complete sense that you and I enjoy today. In the body and in the spirit. We have a wonderful life. Because we are in Christ Jesus. So we have this fullness of life, which is what Jesus referred to in John 10.10. And secondly, we have peace. We have the peace of God that passes all understanding. The unbeliever doesn't enjoy that. He says, be of good cheer, but I have overcome the world. I think that's John 14.33 or 16.33 in that neighborhood there. We have the peace of God. Or rather, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And then thirdly, we have the peace that the world cannot give. And then again, we have unspeakable joy. Not happiness. I enjoy happiness today. But happiness is temporal. There's something more important, more life-giving than happiness. And that is joy. In Christ Jesus, we have the joy of the Holy Spirit. Which is so much different. It's not a... Temporal thing. It's a fruit of the Spirit. This is, in fact, the essence of the gospel. There's life in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Next week, we're going to get into um, this passage, and we're going to look at um, how it is that we can actually walk in the Spirit. Because we need to understand that. We have this wonderful salvation in Christ. We have an exhortation that's been given to us from in this one particular passage. That as believers, we're supposed to live in the Spirit. The question now becomes, how do we walk in the Spirit? How do we fulfill this Christian life that we've been given in Jesus Christ? Do we have the worship team in here this morning? Max, they left you alone, didn't they? They left you alone. And I think my wife just intentionally walked out too. She knew. She knew. She knew. He says, I ain't dumb. I'm out of here.
I don't see Jessica, Matt, and I'm gone. I'm out of church. Stand with me this morning, if you will. And think about, think about some of the things that we heard in the passage. Think about Jesus this morning. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir because this is a conservative church. So if there's any church in Norwalk that understands the importance of living the life of a believer, it's this church. It's this church. I believe that we're on my heart. But on my heart. But how are you today in your faith? How are you today with your faith? How are you today with this Christianity? With this spiritual life that God has blessed you with? It's a wonderful life. It's a fulfilling life. But it's not easy because the sinful nature still exists. Paul the Apostle said so. The body is dead because of sin. The sinful nature still exists. There's a demand. The grave is calling us. We're getting older. This body is still failing. It's frail. It's still decaying. It's a fact. It's still decaying. But yet in the spirit we're being renewed daily. Daily. Are you, are you in compromise this morning with sin? If so, there's an assurance that you can leave here with today. All you need to do is open your heart to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, here I am. But by your heads. But by your heads, close your eyes. Everybody, by your heads, close your eyes. Say, Lord, here I am. You know what I'm wrestling with. You know what I'm struggling with. I'm struggling with her. I'm struggling with him. I'm struggling with this, with that. I need assurance from you here this morning, Lord. I know that I've been saved. And I thank you for that. But Lord, today I need strength. I've been wavering. I'm really compromising. Lord, I'm not living the way that I should be living. Give me strength today. Father, I pray that you bless us here today. We thank you so much for the life that we have in Christ. For the declaration of righteousness. This declaration of freedom and liberty. That, ex that exists within us. But we're still living in this body, Lord. And it is not easy. And some of us are really struggling. And as a church, Lord God, what's your declaration to us as a church? Where are we as a church this morning? What changes are necessary here, Lord? How should we, Lord God, as members, as believers, be relating with one another where are we, Lord God, in your eyes? How do you view us? What weaknesses exist? And again, what changes need to be made? Father, bring us together. Strengthen us. You say in your word, you make it clear that when one suffers, the rest suffer, suffers as well. And that is happening on so many different levels. Father, we need you today. We need the bomb of Gilead, as somebody once said. The bomb of Gilead. The anointing of your spirit within us to renew us.
to restore us, to bring reconciliation to our lives, to help us to see the way you see, to hear as you hear, and to understand, Lord God, to have a heart that understands the way you understand. Help us to live this life out, Lord God, as you want us to. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people say,
Especially when we know, when we know what we're capable of, when we know so much about our nature. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your burial. And thank you so much for your resurrection and the life that you've given us as a result. May you bless us as we prepare to leave this place. May you be with us, Lord God, as we head to our favorite restaurants or to our own kitchens to prepare meals in preparation for perhaps the minds of many here this morning to view the Super Bowl tonight. Bless us, Lord God, whatever it is that we set off to do, be with us in a special way until you bring us back here again. We love you and we praise you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. God bless you guys.